You're listening to audio from Mercy's Door Community Church in Mascouda, Illinois. If you'd like to get more information about Mercy's Door, we'd love for you to connect with us on Facebook or check us out at mercysdoor.org. And so this morning at church, as we continue, I want to just kind of get us on track with how we kind of got to where we are. So last week, Pastor Michael preached on uh, Jesus's journey into Samaria, right? He met this woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, and she had come to draw water. And he says, I will give you living water. And he reveals himself to her as the Christ. And then she goes back into her city, leaving her pail behind and tells everybody, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. And could this be the Christ? Could this be the Christ, she says. And Flipping back just through that passage, we see that after she kind of declares this in the city, then verse 39 says, Many Samaritans from that town then believed in him because of the woman's testimony. And when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him, Stay with us. And so he did. He stayed there for two days. And many more believed in him because of his word. It says, Because of his word, many more believed in him. Verse 42, They said to the woman, It's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard it for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world, the Savior of the world. So this is a super successful two days of ministry for Jesus, right? He's gone into the land of the half-bloods, right, the undesirable clan, right, and he's spent time among them, and in just two days, the people are coming to him not to see signs and wonders, not looking to see something wonderful, to declare this is the Savior of the world. We have heard it ourselves, and we believe He's been called the Messiah. He's been rightly called the Savior of the world. He has received the honor that he is due from the people that he has come to save. And so after two days of that, we open up our passage this morning, verse 43. After these two days, he departed for Galilee. Verse 44, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. And before I kind of preach this over you guys, I want to just invite you guys to see before, as we kind of work our way through this passage, one big central truth that we're going to be working through this morning, okay? That Jesus Christ basically doesn't fit inside the boxes that we want to put him in. We're going to see him do several things in this passage that just don't make a lot of sense to our own sensibilities, okay? He's just had tremendous ministry success. He's receiving the honor and glory that he is due. People are rightly calling him the Messiah and the Savior. And so after two days of that, he says, I'm going to depart for Galilee. Why? Well, for, because, verse 44, Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. What? We might read that, and I wouldn't blame you if you're just not, if you're like me, you're reading that, you're like, oh, so like Samaria must be his hometown. He's departing because he's not getting the honor that he deserves in his hometown. Samaria is not his hometown. Galilee is his hometown. Jesus is from Nazareth, a city south uh, in the south region of Galilee. He says, I'm leaving the place where I am receiving the honor that I deserve. Why? So that, or for, or because... I need to go home where I will receive no honor. Jesus is willfully departing the place where he is receiving honor to go to his hometown where he has said beforehand, I will not receive honor. 
And this is kind of upside down, right? It seems like Jesus does a lot of things that are upside down. But here among those who didn't really know him, those who, those who had no familiarity with him, those who had not real familiarity with the laws of God, who were kind of outside the inner circle of the people of God, these people rightly respond to Jesus when he comes. And he says, I'm going to go back to my hometown, to the people who know me, to the people who have seen me before, and we'll see that in a second, to the people who know the laws and precepts of my Father, and I will not receive honor there. And I think that it's important for us as we get started in here to recognize that Jesus on in his earthly ministry, and Jesus still today, is primarily serving the will of the Father, and wrapped within serving the will of the Father is his service to mankind. I want to say that again, okay? Jesus is primarily serving the will of the Father, and wrapped within his service to the Father, to the will of the Father, is his service to mankind. Now the inverse to this, the heresy, the heretical inverse of this that we are prone to believe is that Jesus primarily serves the will of mankind, and wrapped in within that is his service to the Father. Okay, that somehow Jesus exists to serve our will and the things that we ask of him, the things that we want of him, the things that we demand of him, and that within that he fulfills some things for the Father. That somehow it's for our sake that he's doing some things for his Father, but it's the other way around. Jesus is carrying out the will of the one who sent him, and in so doing, wrapped up in that, is his love and care and service to us. Why is this important? Well, if you think about your life, and you're like me, I know you are, because, because we're in gospel community, we're talking about this stuff all the time. How do we know if we're getting this backwards? How do we know once we're believing that Jesus primarily exists to serve the will of man, and secondarily to serve the Father? It's when this, it's when you ask something of Jesus, when you pray something to Jesus, when you maybe beg Jesus for something, when you demand something of Jesus, when you expect something of Jesus, and it doesn't come to pass, when he does not do or say or behave the way that you have asked him or expected him to say or do or behave? What is the next conclusion that we move to? That will tell us where we're at. That's our diagnostic. If in that process of Jesus not giving you what it is that you want from him, we conclude, Jesus, you must not be present. Jesus, you must not be able. Or Jesus, you must not be good. Right, that, that if you're not giving me what I'm asking you for, Jesus, then you must not be hearing me. You're not, you're not around. If Jesus, you're not giving me what I'm asking for, then Jesus, you must not be able. Or if Jesus, you're not giving me what I'm asking for, then you're not being a very good Jesus right now. Then we are believing that Jesus primarily exists to serve the will of man. Nowhere in there does it factor in that maybe, just maybe, we're not getting what we're asking for because Jesus doesn't serve the will of man, that the issue's on our side, right? This is a diagnostic. Well, here Jesus goes into his hometown in Galilee. Let's read it again. After these two days of ministry success, he departs for Galilee because Jesus testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So Jesus is willfully entering into dishonor. Jesus is pursuing dishonor. Jesus is going after dishonor. He's seeking the space where he will be rejected and despised and dishonored. That's why he's going there. That's what it says. Because Jesus himself. This is why. So verse 45. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. For they too had gone to the feast. 
What? He just said, I'm going home, I'm going into Galilee, because when a prophet will receive no honor in his hometown, and what does he get when he goes into Galilee? They welcome him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. What do we see happening here? You have to go back to the feast. This is why we move left to right through the whole book, right? I got to preach this over you guys several weeks ago, right? After the wedding at Cana, he goes into the temple during the week of the Passover, and at the feast of the Passover, after cleansing the temple and driving out the money changers and the merchants and all of this, right, and flipping the tables, he then does many signs and miracles, and it says at the end there that many people began to believe in him because of the signs that he was doing, but on Jesus' part, he did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. These are those people, the people at the feast who saw the signs and wonders that he was doing and started to believe in him, like, man, this guy's the real deal. It says Jesus did not entrust himself to them. Those who were putting their faith in him because of the signs and wonders, these are not the sorts of people that Jesus entrusts himself to. So he comes back into Galilee, and these same people, they welcome him. Hey, it's our boy. He's back. The guy who does the signs, the guy who does the miracles, our buddy, he's from our town. We were there the day he did the thing. Jesus, what kind of tricks do you have up your sleeve today? Showing up and welcoming him and celebrating him as ones who see him as a miracle worker but who do not yield to him as the Son of God and the Savior of the world, who do not declare of him like the Samaritans did. This is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. It's, it's our boy, Jesus. And so, he came again to Cana in Galilee where he had made the water wine. Guys, look, let's follow this. Receiving dishonor, and hear me correctly, this response is dishonor. The crowding around Jesus, seeking to get near to him in order that by association that I might befriend power, that I might make something of myself by my association to this guy from my hometown, that I can... I tell stories that I was there when I saw him do the cool stuff. This is dishonor. It's actually a mockery of Jesus, and I want to tell you why, guys. Because we've already said of this Jesus in chapter 1, we open this whole book by saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, that all things were made through him. It was not anything made that was made without him, right? Like Jesus, by the power of his Word, created everything. So when you look around you, when you don't know what your sign is, like what's your sign that Jesus has power Here's your sign. This is all his handiwork. The very breath in your lungs is a sign of who he is. He's given it to you. And so when created beings that were made by him, that it, said that it says in there in chapter 1 that when Jesus entered into the world that, he, that was made through him, that that world did not know him. That when he came to his own, that his own rejected him. We're seeing that come to pass here. That rather than rightly looking at all things and seeing that they are his handiwork, they're saying, show me a trick that I might believe. So what does he do? He goes to Cana in Galilee where he turned the water into wine. He goes deeper in to ground zero of his public 
public miracles, right? The place where all that stirring would have started. And here's the thing, guys. Here, as Jesus is flipping things on its head and he's rejecting being celebrated as some celebrity, he's rejecting being celebrated as some, some mere miracle worker who can meet your needs, who maybe if you buddy up to him, he'll do something for you. He'll meet one of your needs or, or he'll serve your purpose in some way. Rather than all of that, we're starting to see Jesus flip that on its head and go deeper and deeper and deeper into that crowd in order in a minute that they might receive a rebuke from him. And we're going to get there. But I think we need to talk about the danger of the hometown for a second. Because none of us are from Galilee, but we can fall into the trap of thinking of ourselves as hometown folks when it comes to Jesus. Not the Samaritan, the outsider, that Jesus had to go to the ends of the earth to pursue. But like his hometown folks, Jesus is our boy. Jesus is our guy. The text is showing us that there is a danger in thinking of yourself as hometown folks when it comes to Jesus, domesticating Jesus, pretending that, he's, that you're one of him and he's one of you in some way that he doesn't mean when he says that we are one. Making him fully man, but denying that he's fully God. Now, I got some friends up in Chicago. There's a megachurch pastor up there who had planted a big thing that has since been removed from ministry for disqualification. I remember I had some friends and some family that would attend that church, and the way they would talk about it, hey, this guy's my pastor. I go to this church. That somehow by association, it's some badge of honor, right, that like, that, that I'm in this crowd, that this is an inner circle crowd, people who really get it, people who really know Jesus. That's my crowd. I know you guys are doing that in Mosquitoes. Guy offers me like, Adam Vega is my pastor. You laugh. It's dangerous, guys. And we, do, and we do a level of that with Jesus when we get too comfortable. See, in evangelical circles like ours, a lot of times what we do is we want to box Jesus into this book. We want to kind of, we'll, we'll write these systematic theologies, I love them, but we'll write these systematic theologies that are five times as long as the Bible and try to really line up all of the things that God has revealed about himself and write them down and document them and say, okay, it's settled, it's closed, God, this is who you are and this is what you're allowed to do and this is how I understand you and we can't let Jesus break out of that box because that's super uncomfortable for us. We want to domesticate him. And for others like these guys, in their hometown, they just want to reduce him to a miracle worker. Looking for signs and symbols, but denying that everything around them is, is his handiwork, that he's God himself. And it's dangerous to be hometown folks in that way. And when you run after signs and symbols, I'll warn you on this, when you run after them, and you believe because of them, you will believe anyone who can show you a sign or a symbol. It's dangerous. Someone claims they can predict the future, they nail it. Man, that's my guy. Someone does something you can't explain. You know who loves signs and symbols? Your enemy. He loves them because they can be deceptive. So he goes to Cana, 
ground zero of where he did his first sign. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. This word official in the Greek is basilikos. It means royalty. And the only royal or majesty or king in the area is Herod of Antipas, who's going to behead John the Baptist, okay? So very likely that we're talking about an official of Herod, okay? Possible that we're dealing with a Roman official. More likely we're dealing with an official of Herod. Either way, an official in a court that's going to crucify Jesus, okay? And his son is ill. And when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. And so Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Guys, heartbroken. Father seeks out Jesus, asks him for healing for his dying son. And what does Jesus say to him? Lest you tame him, lest you put him in a box, lest you domesticate him, lest you figure him out as just a nice guy. Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. In Greek, you can see that we're talking about plural you. In English, it's harder. He says to him, unless y'all see signs and wonders, y'all will not believe. Talking to these crowds around him. Talking to the man and talking to those who have huddled around him, clamoring for a sign. Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Not very nice, Jesus. And this official says to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. You know, it's like he doesn't start arguing with him. He doesn't, res- like, he just asks him again. He's like, I don't have any leverage with you here. I just, I'm just asking you again. Will you come down before my child dies? He is p- pinning his hopes here on Jesus. And my only hope at this, it's at the point of death. It's, it's, it, either these things are true about you or they're not. You are my only hope. Please just come. I don't, maybe, 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 I, I don't, I don't want to get caught up in all that. Can you just Come. And Jesus says to him, go, your son will live. Did Jesus go with him like he asked? Thank you. No, he didn't go with him. He says instead to him something else, go, your son will live. And the man believed the words that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. See, there's a change here at this point in the story where it says that the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken to him. This is the same sentence structure that we see in Samaria, that they believed the word that the woman was spoken, and then they spent time with Jesus, and they said, we no longer believe because of the word that you spoke. We've heard it from him ourselves. We believe his word, Jesus Christ himself, the word. This man believed on him, Jesus the person. Not Jesus the miracle worker, not the reputation of Jesus to do cool stuff, but Jesus himself suddenly needed to be somebody who by thinking it from 15 miles away can heal his son with a word. That's a bit different than a miracle worker. And when he says, go, I'm not coming, that means there's not going to be any razzmafoo, right? There's not going to be any spitting in the mud. I used that word, right? There's... 
There's not going to be any, any, any theatrics around it. Jesus just says, go. He'll be fine. And now this man, this father of a dying child, has to make the 15-mile journey on foot back home in the faith that this guy who he sought out, who he heard about, can by just saying go, heal his dying son. Something's changed there, right? And it says he believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him. They came to him and they told him his son was recovering. And he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at one o'clock, the fever left him. And the father knew this was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. Now we just read in verse 50, the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken to him. And then we read again in verse 53, and he himself believed and all his household. What does this mean? Guys, if it's hard to get that, then we are getting our own faith wrong. What it means is he believed again. He believed, and then he believed again. And this is the nature of the Christian life, that as we see Jesus continually revealing himself to be who he is, we believe, and then we believe again. And as we continue to believe, our households are wrapped up in this, and suddenly the hometown of Jesus is going to be shaped not by the fact that he did some great signs and miracles in the public for all to see, but that one from the royal court of Herod or the Romans comes and falls on his feet, and he doesn't go with him. It says to privately go see that his son has been made well, that he's the God who by the power of his word can heal from 15 miles away in church. I need you to hear it. If 15 miles is the same as the gap from heaven to earth when it comes to Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father today, that Jesus needs merely to think a thing and he can do a thing here on this world for you and for me. And so there's a question that I think we need to ask here that when this guy goes to Jesus, does he go to him all cleaned up? Does he go to him like trying to create a space where he'll actually come in and do the thing that they is. is he making himself Lord is what I'm saying here like is he believing that Jesus primarily exists to serve the will of man or to serve the will of God because he has no claim to this miracle here when he asks for it Jesus says to him unless you get a sign you're not going to believe you people just want signs he's frustrated with them he wants them to see him for who he is this guy has no claim to this miracle, no right to this miracle. When he asks, he doesn't, but what does he say? Please. Please. And he does. He heals the guy's son from 15 miles away, speaks a word, and it is done for this undeserving man. Speaks a word and the Samaritans are saved. It's undeserving people. You want to talk about flipping things on their head, guys? How much do we believe we've got to reconstruct this thing for Jesus so that his favor will come upon us? Tell me the truth. Right? Like if we clean ourselves up, if we can just get back to being a Christian nation, a Christian household, if we can just do things the right way, if we can honor God with our actions, obey the law, really make this space light enough that the light will walk among us, what are we doing? The light leaves the places that have believed unto him and he goes into the darkness in order that they would believe unto him. 
cleaning ourselves up for him. It's a joke. Like somehow revival, spiritual revival, is on the other side of like our obedience. Like that's ever how it worked. Ever. That God waited until we were getting it right to then pour out his favor on us. The light shines in the darkness. Tell me which Samaritan asked Jesus to come in and bring revival to Samaria. Tell me all the things they were doing right to deserve that. Tell me what this guy was doing right to deserve the healing in his home that, that they would be adopted in this royal family from the, from, the, from the courts of Herod or the Romans would be invited in to be adopted into the family of Christ. No. Jesus walks into dark spaces, and guys, we ought to be going into dark spaces with this message. For just a moment with you guys. You guys have things. Contemplate it for a moment, and don't say it to me. Just talk to the Lord for a minute. You've got things that are at the point of death. You do. You've got relationships on the point of death. You've got people on the point of death. You've got dreams at the point of death. And this guy with no claim to Jesus, no claim to a miracle, no claim to have him bend to his will, hears that Jesus has come, goes to him, and he asks. And then he believes. And then he believes again. So what is the thing right now, the dead and dying thing, the thing that's at the point of death, that upon hearing this, you are to go to him. You know where he's seated. You know where to find him. That you would go to the Son. That you would ask. And that you would believe. And believe again. You know, one of the pastors, Pastor Mike, thank you, brother, asked me last week, about my wife, she suffers from chronic illness. He said, do you pray for her healing? Just brotherly conversation. I said, no, man, I think I stopped praying that for a long time ago. I, I'll pray for, he, like, comfort. I'll pray for healing in a day. I feel like I don't really pray for her, like, permanent healing anymore. And uh, he said, can we pray for that, like, right now? We did, you know. But the truth is, is that I asked God for this, and he didn't say yes when and how I wanted him to. And because I wanted him to serve me and not me to serve him, I said, you must not hear me, you must not be able, or you must not be good. And I don't like thinking about those things, so I'm not going to talk to you about that anymore, God. And this is your pastor saying this to you, and so I'm, I need to believe that these types of things are happening in your heart, too. That it takes courage to let Jesus be who he actually is, to believe that he's serving the will of the Father first, and that when you ask him for things and he doesn't give it to you, what it means is that you are not asking him for the will of the Father. If you have a problem with his answer, your problem is with the will of the Father, because he is always serving the will of the Father, and secondarily, serving man, which means that and he's always serving man, and he's always serving the will of the Father, which means his answer is always serving me. Can I believe that? Can you believe that? Can I believe it again? Can I ask again? Because Jesus didn't say yes to this official. 
he rebuked them and said, unless y'all see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And so what does he do? He asks them again. And he says, yes. I just wanted to encourage you guys this morning, like the thing that you've stopped asking him for, like ask him again. Ask him again. And again. If he rebukes you, receive a rebuke. Ask him again. This is at a different time in history than the time that you're in now. You know, I know that from a signs and symbols perspective, a lot of us would love to see a pillar of cloud and fire moving in the wilderness, right? And I'm telling you, Michael's told you this before, uh, that they would gladly, the Hebrews in the wilderness, would gladly trade in the pillar of cloud and fire for a crucified Jesus paying the ransom of the sins of the world and his Holy Spirit indwelling you and his very word in their hand, right? Like all the signs and the wonders that we could possibly ever ask for have been poured out richly upon us and the the one who carries out those signs is indwelling you. And so I would just say at this point in history, it would make no sense for this guy to have more courage than you to go before the Son. It just wouldn't make any sense to rightly believe that the Spirit is within you and that you have unfettered access to the throne room of grace would say to call upon this Jesus who all he needs to do is think a thing and he does a thing. Talk to that Jesus. Talk to him today. What is it? What broken thing would he have you bring to him again today and to believe unto him that he can make it right? Our Jesus is that good. And church, I want to invite you into that this morning. Some of you in gospel community know what the people around you are suffering, are through long suffering, asking the Lord for right now. If you know those things, I want you to take this time to not just pray for yourself, but to go and find a brother and sister who through many tears has been praying for some time and go and pray for that man or that woman today. Access the throne room of grace. And as we do that today, I want you to go into GC and I want you to believe together in group prayer and take this time and talk to the Jesus who is this way. Break free of the club, break free of the hometown people mentality, break free of figuring out that Jesus is too small. Let him be who he actually is, because he's better than you think. He's better than I think. I want to invite us into that time of prayer now, and we'll invite the band up, and we'll come in. We'll come and take communion together in order to believe this more fully. But pray with me now, and then when I get done praying, find someone else and pray for them.